sponsored by the Dunleary Rattown Local Enterprise Office. You're listening to Business Eye on Dublin South FM. Welcome to this week's uh, edition of Business Eyes, uh, sponsored as usual by Dunleary Rathdown Local Enterprise Office. And uh, Joe, how are you? Wonderful. I, I'm rolling around the house after consuming uh, multiple delicious Easter eggs uh, last week. And I'm out walking again now. The, the, the weather is changing, so I'm doing those walks every day, getting that 5K in every day. So, yeah, feeling good, feeling good. Hopeful for the future, hopeful for the future. What about yourself? Yeah, no, I'm good. I uh, get in the exercise in every day. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful too. It's interesting, though. We had a guest recently, Ivor Cummins, and, and he was talking very frankly about about things and maybe something we could talk about today is you know we're heading to i think he posted online yesterday that monday next week the uk is due to be at herd immunity level and yet it's not fully opened right and so there's a there's all sorts of questions about where are we heading and where are governments going and i guess that brings us back to to businesses which then segues back to our guest today charlie boyle around you know customer service and the culture of businesses and how how are they going to navigate their way through this? Yeah, it's 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 before we we bring in Charlie. It's interesting. There's a lot of places out there who were closed, and they're they're developing cobwebs in the premises, and they need to open up. And there's some people who are doing click and collect, and there is there's a sort of a mindset shift that you know people who are very eager to get back. What have we learned over the last you know twelve months? Uh, about customer service because I've had some disasters myself. I've had some complete disasters uh, with companies who were trying to learn and adapt. And then there's other companies that have just, you know, surprised us all and have flown through it. So I'm delighted to uh, to have Charlie on today. Yeah, no, I agree. And so, so Charlie Boyle is our guest. Welcome, Charlie. How are you? Thank you. Thanks, Simon. Joel, it's great, it's great to see you. Great to see you. And so, Charlie, for, for the listener, is a customer experience consultant. Well, I, I would say a guru, um, specializing in transfer, transforming businesses through, you know, customer service excellence. He's the CEO of Customer Service Excellence Ireland. Um, he's also a facilitator and consultant with the likes of IMI, the Irish Management Institute, Enterprise Ireland, and and you've had a, a, a lifetime career in you know, really managing and chaperoning customer service to perfection, you know, to, to excellence. So welcome, Charlie. You know, it's it's great. It's great to talk with you. And given we've gone through this really challenging times, everybody's more sensitive. Everybody is more cynical. And I think, and I'm not an expert, but I would imagine good customer service is going to be ever more highly prized. What, what do you think, Charlie? <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Simon. Thanks, thanks for the introduction. I think we're all experts at customer service. To be honest, you know, um, I maybe am an observer of it, and there's something that I have a huge interest in. But I think we're we're all customers, so therefore we're all we're all experts. You know, where you decide to spend your money is going to be based on on values that you have, etc. And you know, what what has COVID done? It's it's focused as it has done with so many other things. It's focused our attention in in, in areas that perhaps needed focusing and you know around that whole that whole uh, area of customer service which is possibly the customer service where the two humans connect and the customer experience is much greater than that and I think what we're doing 
is we're talking more about the greater experience. So customer experience is, is normally the term we're using more often. And, you know, we, we're clearly in the middle of the experience economy, and that's something that is per, perhaps not as topical as it should be. Pine and Gilmore in 1999 said we are now entering the experience economy. The fourth economy known to man, we're likely to be in it. They said to about 2050. So here we are halfway through an experience economy where it's not just about the product at a certain price, it's about the overall experience. So the overall experience of going to a Taylor Swift concert at Croke Park is not just about the product, which is Taylor Swift music. It's about the, the ambience, the atmosphere, the food, the fireworks, the color. And it's it's uh, it's an overall experience. And that's no different from somebody going into a primary care, health care clinic. There's an overall experience at play there. The outcome, the product might be a clinical assessment to see what's wrong with me, but there's so much to it. So, you know, we we have a great, we've had a great opportunity, I think, in the last 14 months to look at it and to look at, the, you know, those companies, you know, Joe spoke before there about having a few disasters. Yes, you know, the when the tide goes out, sometimes, the you know, the bodies are exposed and, and those who were weak going into a crisis like this will just not have the abilities to stick through it. We've seen casualties there as well. You know, we've seen casualties that were predicted, um, such as Debenhams, and, you know, just not good enough. They weren't at the races, they, but they did no innovation in either their service or their products. And, you know, within a few months, they, they were under serious pressure. Then we've seen other companies absolutely thrive because they've been able to pivot, they've been able to be innovative, and then there's there's this great discussion around, you know, the three areas of the skills we're, we're seeing. I think I've read five future skills reports in the last five months. And I would say it was probably five years before that since I've seen a future skills report. And a future skills report is basically a sector or an industry looking at the skills needed for the future of their particular sector. And if you, if you took if you took the one that came out in Ireland, um, which came out in November of 2020, much of the information gathered before COVID suggested that the three areas of the future skills needed in retail were product knowledge. So if you worked in retail, let's say you worked in a fashion store or you know fast moving goods you needed about 33% knowledge of the product. Now, that's come down hugely because 30 years ago, you would have needed to have 70% plus knowledge of, 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 uh, of the product you were selling. But now you don't need so much. Why? Because the person is coming in the door with all the knowledge. The customer is coming in uh, loaded with the knowledge. They can sit for two hours the night before on a device and find out about the product they're buying. So the person in the retail needs about 33%, no more, of their skills to be knowledge. The, the other 33, another 33% is digital IT skills. So more and more we're need, needing to be digitally aware, things like click and collect, things like easy payment, things like being you know social media savvy. Um, so they are the other skills. And the last 33% are human skills. Now that's been challenged hugely uh, in that 33% is not enough, that we need more human skills. But let's say, for example, that it's at 33%. If we then go into hospitality and we look at the future skills required in hospitality and tourism and throw that together, they would suggest that human skills is as high as 50%. So 
So these human skills, soft skills, employability skills, essential skills that we continuously talk about, every single report, including a civil engineer report in the UK that I read recently, it suggested human skills 40%. So think of this. Tunneling under the Thames, uh, water, you know, perhaps treatment plants being built, the hydro schemes. You would think that's totally about the product, but here they're saying 40% of the skills you're going to need to work in that industry are human skills. The anomaly here, although these human skills are required, these soft skills are required, these essential skills are required, let's take the stats on it. In Ireland, something like 70% of our budget in education and training is spent on digital and IT skills. We are overtraining in digital and IT skills, without question. Where is the deficit? We're 23rd in Europe in how much we spend on our human skills, yet it is of the greatest importance to the employers. So it's uneven. And There's a balance there. Can, can I just huge, jump in? Huge imbalance, just, Julia. Just want to jump in there. One of the things just where you said about the likes of Debenhams, you know, before even COVID or 2020 came in, if you went into Debenhams, you'd walk around the store because there was no one there to actually serve you. And when lockdown came in and COVID came in in 2020, I think it was a great excuse for a lot of companies that were suffering. And we're talking big chains that were suffering, that were able to go, look, this has given us a golden opportunity to get out of this. You know, we we projected to get out of this in two, three years down the road. This gives us the opportunities to get out now. That was the writing on the wall. So it was it was a release for them. Looking then at the, you know, the customer knowledge, I've always said in the past, you need to know 100% of product knowledge, but you'll only use 15% of it because you don't know what percentage the client will, will work on, on it. And that reminds me of the motor industry. People know more about a car than the car dealer when they go in and they, that's now just an order taking process on it. But then soft skills, you talk about soft skills, you talk about customer experience, communication, it's human connection is the big thing. So I'm just going to ask you, what, what, do, what do you define as soft skills for people that don't know what soft skills are that are listening to this? Really good question, Joe. And, and it's funny, I, I had a conversation for about an hour and a half with somebody this morning about that. It, it, it depends where we are and what I mean by that. Soft skills in America might mean something totally different from soft skills here. So if, if we were, and, and Simon and I have had this conversation in recent weeks, if we were to ask our colleagues in America what their 10 soft skills were, and if we were to put down our 10 soft skills, possibly five of those soft skills may overlap. But we may have five soft skills that are totally different. And when we're, when we're talking about soft skills, the first thing I would say about the term soft skills is we need to find another term for that. Why? Because when, it's, when we use the term for soft skills, we think of soft, fluffy, easy, not yeah. important. Those things come to my head. Human skills, power skills, maybe power skills is a bit too much the other way. But, you know, somebody that comes up with a good term on us should be well paid for that day's work, you know, very soon. But, uh, you know, what, what would I see as soft skills? You might think this is a hard skill, but would I see the biggest deficit? And when I say when I see, this is what Google told us, LinkedIn, Facebook, a few years ago when we were creating an apprenticeship for sales in Ireland. Leadership is a soft skill that there's a deficit on, without question. 
So you might think, well, leadership is an important skill. Of course, it's important, but that there's a gap there. Resilience. We we are not we are not exposing the generations that are coming up. The three emerging generations are not being exposed to the same that baby boomers, my generation, were. That does not mean we were at war continuously, but we built resilience because we were allowed the opportunity to build resilience in the playground. You had a scrap with somebody over a football match. You sorted it out. You got on with it. Sometimes now that's a principle involved. It could be child protection involved. Have we gone too far? Have we not allowed the youth to get involved in the natural building of resilience? Now, what employers are saying to us is if you put them into a sales position after three, four years of a degree course, they have the theory of everything, but they haven't the practicalities of not getting a sale in that first two or three weeks. They haven't practiced resilience because the education system does not allow them to do that. It, it talks about marketing. It talks about sales in a theoretical basis. So the model has to be something like an apprenticeship where it's work-based, where the young lad is put in to sell. He's not selling. I'm giving up. Then he learns back in the classroom what resilience is. Now, yeah. if, we go, if we go on, communication is also a soft skill that there, there are gaps in. And it's, it's the easy thing, Joe, is to blame the students. But we created the system that yeah. doesn't allow communication to be practiced at that level. You know, another one might be emotional intelligence, awareness of myself as a person, awareness that I'm a shaper, I'm a coordinator, but I'm not a complete finisher. You know, so self-awareness, you know, all of those areas are soft skills, but if we had to list them out, what we need to stop doing is we need to stop trying to identify what they are. You know, let's agree 10 of them and let's put them into curriculum because they're not there. That's a great point, Charlie, you know, and, and I shared with you yesterday, there's a new report from Deloitte Access in Australia, and um, they've identified that the soft skill intensive occupations by 2030 will be 63% of occupations. And and I agree with you. I, I, I'm now thinking instead of soft skills or even power skills, because I think that's too far to the right, I think it's something around growth skills, right? It's around growth, you know, because... Because looking again at the Deloitte thing, they, they they list the main ones as emotional judgment, teamwork, communication, professional ethics, um, and and they've also demonstrated through a diagram that if you if you follow the follow the diagrams, it all ends up in business success. So it's all about their growth skills, right? And and I guess my question is, we all know that these are necessary. So why are the authorities, whether it's training or government? universities, business schools, whoever, still focusing on the hard skills and not looking at this stuff? Is it because there's no universally acknowledged definition of what a soft skill is and yet, and so it's everybody's avoiding it, this stuff? Why? Why, why, why do you think it's suboptimized still? Yeah, yeah it's, and, and, and that's, that's again, Simon, a really, really good question. And I suppose... When, when we talk about the authorities, I suppose we have to question, well, who are the authorities? Are we not an authority? You know, if, if we're private consultants, we're part of that authority as well. We're also parents. That's that's authority. And I, I think I think the conversation 
is starting. I, I would be very hopeful of that. There's, there, there's yeah. no doubt the conversation has started and it's, it's gathering pace. I don't think this had the same level of intensity as a conversation last year before COVID. Mm. I think this whole thing around human skills and soft skills, whatever it is, I think it's, it's gaining momentum. And it has to because the anomaly is absolutely huge. It's, it's the most gaping hole that I've seen in, in, in my history of work, that here we are, the industry is crying out for something that the students don't have. And we are not giving it to them. So even in that statement, there, there's, a, there's so much work to be done. Yeah. And, and I don't think it, it's a three-year research. I think the evidence is there. I think the, the, the modules need to be put together. They need to either be accredited or there's no need for accreditation. And they need to be put into the curriculum. Because if you send a plumber out with 95% technical skills, and maybe only exposure at best to 5% human skills, you're not preparing them for the future of work. Mm-hmm. The future is tomorrow. Two things that are coming up when you're talking about that as well is history. And history has a lot to do with it. And we should be learning from history. There was a, a, pr- a problem in this country when you talk about plumbing. So, so let's look at the apprenticeship, that there was a decline in apprentices who were coming through because everyone was pushing them on IT or web development and everything. And, and then this was the focus. So we had a drop on it. Now, looking at today, there is there's there's an object to get, say, over 2000 apprenticeships going at the moment. And the government have said, oh, we've got all these filled. But if you drill down into these apprenticeships, they're for Google, they're for um, Amazon, they're for all these large big tech companies. But there's not the apprentices for Joe Soap down the road, who's the mechanic or the, the electrical guy or the plumber guy. What I'm trying to get at is should we should be learning from a history to push these apprentices through and bolting on this leadership because you know we can talk about leadership but there's really bad leadership and there's really good leadership as well and that trickles down from government right down into that small business that needs to keep the the lights on to pay the mortgage and, and put food on the table yeah, absolutely, Joe, and and you know, very very valid point in terms of apprenticeships, in terms of and again, it's not the students. I I would put the blame of that totally at the at the feet of the parents. The expectation that you know we want Johnny to go to DCU or UCD or Trinity as opposed to an apprenticeship uh, for plumbing, but you know. The, very, very noble careers with, with great growth and, and uh, potential in them. Probably earning more such, money than us. <laughs> well, uh, uh, without that, and, 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 you know, employing hundreds of people. If you take the construction industry, you know, one of the biggest employers in Ireland. But if we look at, if we look at the statistics, the stats don't lie, we are sending 85% of students from second level into third level only to watch 25% of them drop out. That's been the statistic consistently for the last 15 years. So it's got up to the highest rate in Europe. And we, wow. celebrated, we celebrated that rather than looked at it as a threat. The model economy is the Swiss model. The Swiss model sends 16%, one-sixth of its second level to third level at the age of 18. And that's not to say they don't progress later on. 54% go into apprenticeships 
across all of the areas. So the areas you spoke about, yes, into IT and tech, there's apprenticeships there, but it's also in to the construction and to the, the, the other areas. And then later on, you can progress from that apprenticeship into third level. If you so wish, you can go on and do a master's in your 30s, 40s. Our, our system is just two points driven, and it's based on you being able to remember everything you learned for five years in an exam for two hours. I, I'm highly critical of that situation. Because again, that, that would not develop anybody's human skills. That just we're just looking to develop memory skills. Some people can do that and others others can't. It's not for Char- them. Charlie, it's interesting. You know, when I first arrived in Ireland from the UK 21 years ago, I remember one of the first things I heard on radio was exactly this conversation that the leaving cert system is not fit for purpose, that the world's moving more to, you know, open. Uh, the kind of the Finnish or the Norwegian or, or New Zealand models of, of problem solving rather than rote learning. So why 21 years later is it, is it exactly the same? Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and you're absolutely right. And, and, and very, very timely because Simon Harris only yesterday has come out controversially and said that the leave and serve is not fit for purpose and it needs to be, you know, sh- shooken up. And, and, and which it has. And, and, you know, it's one of these things that when things are going well, uh, we tend not to change. And then yeah. when things are not going well, and we've had both, we tend not to change. So we haven't looked at it. We, we, we've we looked at it. We've done research after research, quite a report after report. We haven't ex- executed on it. So that thing, you know, I think it was Bell that said, you know, vision without um, execution is hallucination, which is exactly what we've been doing. We've had the vision. We've been talking about it, but we've not acted on it. So, Goes back to leadership. Well, it it does go back to leadership, but then what is the deficit? Where where is leadership trained at school? It's not. Is leadership a subject in secondary? No. Is leadership a a subject third level? Of course it's not. So unless you study leadership, unless you do a master's in leadership, you're not going to be exposed to a module of leadership if you're doing civil engineering or if you're doing sports psychology. So we must include these items in the curriculum that the employers are saying there are gaps to. It's, yes. it's, it's as simple as, as that. And if it's as simple as that, that's what we should be executing. So Simon, what, what would you define as good leadership? For me, good leadership, it, well, you're only a good leader if you have followers, right? So <laughs> you can't, there's no such thing as a leader without followers. So for me, it's, 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 I, I suppose there's four or five aspects. You, calmness, compassion, and courage are important. Honesty as much as you can be from a corporate perspective. Influencing, right? Influencing is different to persuasion. Persuasion, there's negative undertones. In, to be a good leader, there needs to be something about you that a good, honest, ethical kind of a magnetism that draws people along a journey with you. That, for me, is what leadership's about. And some people it's instinctual in some people but but you have to learn this stuff you have to and and awareness is another key part of it as well so influencing and awareness are critically critical strong values what you're saying is strong values i think the last two years has shown us that leaders will pure leaders you know will have to stand up 
and and lead the way because you will always have leaders you as you say some you will always have followers and you'll always have people who are shy or nervous you know it's natural selection you could say and i think if you if someone is a leader or feel they are a leader it's time now in a world of chaos let's let's not deny this the world is in chaos it's in madness that people are looking for people that are calm people that are logically thinking and able to make a decision without fear. That's what I feel it is. And it's those strong values of ethics, truthful. It's about understanding compassion. We speak about this a lot, Simon, you know, yeah. it's compassion, empathy, empathy. Yeah. Um, Charlie, I was shocked. Like I have friends in the States who are teaching courses on empathy. And I was going to go and they said the reason why they're teaching them is because the kids that are coming up through the system don't know what empathy is. And he says that they're living in a 2D world. And I said, what do you mean? Video games, you know, 2D world are playing these all the time. They're not living in the 3D world. And he says, we have to teach them what empathy is, which is, is, is crazy. Mm -hmm. Is, is that to what we're doing here now? Are we teaching people to be better? Yeah, and, and look at empathy has to be a subject. It has to be in a curriculum because, again, the natural world of uh, you know a Gen Z or a millennial does not expose them to that to the level that it did in the past. That's not their fault, by the way. That's just the way society is. So, so these these things like empathy or emotional intelligence, they have to be trained in. They have to be trained in. There has to be a module. They need to at least be aware what what they are, yeah. and then you know if if they are to improve at them, they have to then um, be able to have the skills and the knowledge to improve and to become better people. This is not about making better salespeople or better IT technicians. It's about developing a better person. Sponsored by the Dunleary Rattown Local Enterprise Office. You're listening to Business Eye on Dublin South FM. I read something recently which really pricked my consciousness, and it was it was something online that somebody posted: "Be good to be good to everybody, but if you can't be good, at least don't cause harm to other people." Right, and that sums it up. Nobody ever taught me that at school. If somebody, if one of my teachers, I went to a Catholic school in England. If one of the nuns had told me that. I'd like to think that would have sat in my head, right? And that would have sat in the neurons in my head and it would have influenced the way I operated in life. But nobody taught me that. I was taught what happened in the Bible and I was taught about how chemicals interact. And so that at the grassroots level, I think that sort of stuff should be taught in schools. Be good to everybody. And if you can't be good, don't do harm, right? That is the fundamental of interaction and empathy and ethics, it's as simple as that. Why can't we just break this down and start teaching this in school? And, and it's it's also the basis of customer service. So, you know, if, if we look at customer service, customer service starts internal in any organization. It's about treating the people within the organization with respect first and foremost. You know, it's 37 years since Branson said customers are not first. And people thought he was crazy. And he went on to explain that your staff are first. You look after your staff. Your staff will inevitably look after your customers. Customers will, will, will return. So, you know, those things of kindness and care and compassion and um, knowing, you know, things like respect, respecting that, you know, diversity, somebody does something in a different way or somebody looks different from me, 
they bring something to the team that I don't, but I bring something to the team that they don't. And having that mutual respect and customer service starts without question. The research is overwhelming. The customer service success stories are those companies who treat each other well internally. The external customer is just getting a replication of what's happening deep under the surface. So seven-eighths of it are below the surface. What you're seeing in terms of good customer service is just the peak. And then sales is an inevitable outcome of this. So we talk about soft skills and customer service as if it was fluffy, nice to have, but it's the bottom line of sales. Sales is an outcome. I mean, I shy away from sales training because I don't think you can train sales. I think you can train the things that create sales. Sales is the outcome of the other things. Those other things are the soft skills, the things like kindness, things like emotion. And these are things we're getting more comfortable speaking about. You got a group of guys 20 years ago when you started talking about kindness and you know emotions and uh, experience, well, you, you would lose the room. But Charlie, is, is, Ireland, is Ireland Inc., maybe bring it back to customer service, is Ireland Inc. good at customer service compared to other jurisdictions or is it better than some? Is it not as good as some, generally speaking? Okay, hopefully this doesn't go outside the country. If it does, we're, we're all in for it. No, we're not. We're not better than other countries. And we need to move away from that much that we are. We would like to believe we are. There was a time we possibly were. Are we better metrically? You know, if the measurement is against the States, against the United Kingdom, other parts, we're not better, we're not much worse, okay? But could we be better? Yes, I do believe we can. And I think that many ways we're the athlete that hasn't been to the gym and hasn't been working out for a couple of years. We forgot what we're about. We've gone, look at our skills. We've gone IT digital crazy. And we haven't looked at the skills that we have an abundance of. Those human skills are not being exercised. They're not being trained on. So the answer to your question, there is no evidence that I have seen that Ireland is better than other countries at customer service. In fact, the evidence that is most accurate is the CEXI report um, you know, created in Dublin that shows America and the UK to be better than us at customer experience. Now, that report is not a popular report, believe me, in the country, but it's a real report. The answer, part B of that, could we be better? Yes, we could. We could be world leaders at this. We could be world leaders at customer experience. And imagine how, how important that would be. We're already the best in Europe at IT and digital skills. Let's match the human skills alongside that. Then we've got a world power. Cave me to Falsha. That's where we we believe we are, but we're, we're we're not. And I think what's happened with the industry and with a lot of people, it's that you know self gratification, that instant gratification. We want everything, and you know I think IT and artificial intelligence and everything is driven that way. Yeah, I think you know you. The three of us are of a world of um, Wall Street. You know the movie when Wall Street, you yeah, know, yeah. was to eat eat everybody and come rich. And here we are. You know, we grew up in that sort of era, and here we are talking about total opposite to what that that the eighties meant. Yeah. I I was speaking to someone the other day and how bad Ireland was at that stage. You know, we, you we can all recall hyperinflation, hanging on for everything. And what brought us out of that and gave us hope as a country then, believe it or not, and lifted the spirits was Italian 90. And that 
brought the nation together. That was the beginning of it. And maybe what's happening happened now with COVID and lockdown and there is a divide, but maybe there's somewhere that we can all meet in the middle and start thriving again, being that beacon of light in the world of madness. Ireland is, I think it's the fourth most intangible economy in the world, you know, in terms of intellectual property. Most of the, you know, big corporates are based here and there's a lot of brand management out of Ireland. Wouldn't it be cool if Ireland in 10 years time through the work that the likes of you, Charlie, do, could be referred to as the soft or the, the growth skills capital of the world? Imagine that, you know, the great, the greatest customer experience. Imagine that. Well, I think I think that's 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 part of the problem. And look at it's it's easy to be wise in hindsight, but you know the apples and the Googles, you know they, they chose Ireland for for various reasons. Some of them controversial. You know we don't need to go into that. They created jobs, but where were the jobs? The jobs were in IT and digital. So what did the education system do? It prepared for that onslaught of jobs. So we've got the balance wrong. Let's be honest. And. And if you go into Google and you go into Apple and you ask them where are the gaps in skills, they'll say not in digital and IT, it's in human skills. We have that information. So what what if it's not, it shouldn't be what if, it should be let's now add in the human skills, the soft skills, the things that we are naturally good at. Let's get that into the training, the education system, and let's match that and let's become world leaders at both the IT and the human skills. Remember, Steve Jobs had most to gain from the onslaught of IT. And he often was quoted the word of warning, IT is not here to replace the human touch, it's here to enhance it. But we've we've stepped past that mark too often. You know, we're talking about leadership. What's your thoughts on this whole cancel culture? as well that you know that is seeping in um have you given much thought uh, both of you if someone disagrees with it with a company's point of view or people don't like it they basically just cancel it out and it's the cancel culture is they don't want to do anything with the company again and it's i i'm looking at it and i'm finding that it's an easy way out instead of having that conversation or that leadership it's instantly you know, speak to the hand, seeing it in large organizations around the world. And it, I think a bit, a bit of it is comes out of this whole instant gratification, social media world where, you know, instant results are, are, are wanted. And, and also, you know, the confusion between fake news and real news. And, and so I think in a lot of people's heads, they mush it all up and they think, well, well I'm not going to engage. I'm just going to dismiss if I don't like it, if it doesn't suit me right now, um, that's my sense, Charlie. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know where, I haven't thought about it deeper, but I think that's my feeling about it. it there's, there's a confluence of the instant gratification and, well, it's all too confusing, so it's just easier to cancel kind of culture. Yeah, there, there, look, at there's two there's two things come up there when you ask that, Joe, and, and one that I've been looking at, you know, recently is is digital literacy. And it's, it's going to be a problem when digital literacy is just that, Young people are going to find it very, very difficult, and they're finding it difficult to differentiate between real and imaginary. Yeah, because yeah. the digital doesn't. So fake news, real news, we're, we're buying both. Kids are buying both, and and the other the other thing is there as well is that there's a lot of information that is not to do with our experience of that experience. So it's to do with what somebody else said about it, or you know what the social media said about it. Um, 
The, the problem with the, the cancellation, we still have a culture that 74% of people who are unhappy with a service or a product simply walk away. We don't complain. Walk only feet. one, yeah. yeah, only one in four people complain. I'm one of the 74%. If I'm unhappy, I just can't be bothered with the hassle. I'm just, I just won't go back there. And there's a lot of work to be done in that area. What we need to be doing, in the words of Disney, we need to be extracting the complaint. We need more complaints, strangely enough. I think what the problem is with most companies, like if I'm, say, consulting with a company and we first go, let's go out and ask, you know, what, why the people came to you originally? Why are they still with you? And how can you improve your service? There are three questions that we, that we ask. And I noticed a lot of people are fearful of question number three even though it's going to help their business and grow the business because they're fearful that if they ask this question, they'll get negative feedback and it'll, it'll hurt their feelings, but it's actually a strength building, building question to ask. That's where we need to go. We need to be able to say, I'm going to get some flack here, but I'm going to take it. I'm going to use it and I'm going to work on it to grow the business. You know, Joe, Joe, I, I heard something this morning. You know that the, the UK scientist, Brian Cox, he's a kind yeah. of a bit of a cool dude. And he said something this morning, and I've never heard. He said, I'm interested in ideas. Of course I am. But I'm more interested in the gap between two ideas. And <laughs> when you think about that, I just think we need to think more deeply about that gap between ideas. Mm -hmm. And as you said, Joe, question things more. I think that was genius when he said that. Yeah. It is. We're, we're all geniuses. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that I've sort of picked up from today is leadership. Another thing like inclusion and diversity leadership, I've just taken it for granted um, because of my education and bringing up as well. But, you know, there's, there's definitely an industry there, which I never, I never really thought that people were missing like empathy when I was speaking to my colleague in, in, in America as well. So it's definitely something yeah. to work on. Yeah. Charlie, before we, we go, what advice would you say to a business owner now who's coming out of lockdown and hopefully opening up um, and has their staff and, you know, they've been helping those staff over a period of time. What, what sort of advice would you give them coming into the last six months of the year? I, I, I would say go deep rather than go big. You know, I would say look look inside, look look at the organization, look at the staff. You know, have we got the basis to, to move forward here? Is there good culture? Have your culture measured, which you can do. You know, there are tools to measure the company culture. A lot of people are afraid to use that. And, you know, if, if you have it right internally and you work at the organization, you work at the team, and that, that could be a team of four or five. That could be a cafe with four people in it. It's, it's working at that, working at the internal customer service, working at the culture. And from that, everything else flows out. So you're going to get your innovation. You're going to get your ideas because it's a safe place to, to fail. It's a safe place to you know, speak uh, about something that you, you have an idea of that can improve. And it's, it's from the internal that the external will improve. Uh, you know, look, looking, at it, looking at it big without getting it right deep is uh, is the mistake that too many too many make so that that would be that would be the guidance i suppose that that i would give and we do give as a company that's that's what we look at and that's why we're we're different i suppose from other customer service programs is our belief is that it starts internally i think that's it charlie if someone wants to reach out to you where can they connect with you 
Yeah, well, customer service excellence Ireland. If you if you type it in, you'll catch up with us there. Or strangely enough, CXEI, which is customer experience excellence Ireland. CXEI will take you right on to our website, which is just opened this week, a new one. Um, and or you know myself, Charlie Boyle on LinkedIn, which I'm probably most active on. So yeah, if you're on LinkedIn, Charlie Boyle on LinkedIn, and and, and have a chat there and and see what's going on. Keep the keep the conversations going, Joe. Yeah, it's a, it's important to keep the conversations going. That's what it is. Sponsored by the Dunleary Rattown Local Enterprise Office. You're listening to Business Eye on Dublin South FM. Simon, your thoughts? Your thoughts for today? You know, just wrapping up, I, I interviewed a guy, an American called Ted Rubin, who created this concept, Return on Relationships. Uh, amazing guy. And, and he talks about, and I think this summarizes this chat. He says, people buy from people and brands they trust. They trust people and brands they like, and they like people and brands they can connect with. So trust, likability, and connection. And that's all soft, that's all soft or power or growth skills. Yeah. It's you know, my my advice when I was 18 getting into sales was from uh the guy who was running the business at at the time, Barry Gannon. And he said to me, You like people, they like you. If they like you, they'll buy off you. That has resonated with me all my life. And it's just, you know, be kind to people. Treat them the way you want to be treated and, you know, see, see where it goes on it. See where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, folks, if you want to uh, sort of connect with myself and Simon and not miss a show, uh, we've created a, even we've created our own little website, which is Business Eye Advisory. And if you click on there, uh, you won't miss a show. And we're, we're going to be producing other goodies and also click, share and make a comment as well. But that grows the show online as well. So until next week, from myself and Simon, we'd like to say, well, thanks for listening. You have a super weekend. And Charlie, thanks for coming on today.